We consider at this time in the preaching of the Word of God, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. We've read that in the context of the giving of the law at Sinai and the Ten Commandments, in light also of the announcement of the gospel that God had delivered them from Egypt and its bondage unto himself to be his covenant people. In that light, we consider the seventh commandment. The Catechism sheds this light as an explanation in Lord's Day 41 on the seventh commandment. When asked, uh, what does the seventh commandment teach us? We respond that all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart, live live chaste and disciplined lives, both within and outside of holy marriage. Then the other question of Lord's Day 41, does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. So we have this explanation of the catechism in Lord's Day 41 on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It is perhaps... Needless to say, we need to hear the seventh commandment. In this world that has rejected all of the commandments of God, they would say perhaps there's a couple, but you shall not commit adultery is not one of them. Even in the church today, there is much compromise of this commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, in seeking to get away with just about every form of sexual sin, I I suppose, except sexual intercourse among those who date. There are all kinds of extremes, aberrations of behavior in the church that are tolerated by those churches that are either false or becoming false in the way of having one homosexual and one homosexual cover a, a couple after another tolerated in the ranks of the believers and their children. We ourselves need to take heed to the uh, commandment of God because we are prone to commit adultery. Let's face it, either publicly or privately, either at the age of 13 or 100, I suppose, or perhaps one would be delivered from most of that sin almost at 100, though I doubt it. There are temptations, and there are nagging tugs, and there are enticements that come to us and also come from us with which we have to deal as dealing with cougars and lions and tigers and bears. We are those who are exposed to the death of the sin of, of this, uh, against the seventh commandment, the death indeed to which it leads for all of those who persist in breaking it, committing adultery, fornicating left and right, regardless of the consequences. So we are needing to approach this seventh commandment honestly, forthrightly, and thoroughly, and we would do this in the light of the word that had been led to 
speak upon this morning, and that's Proverbs chapter 7. So if we could turn to the Bible, we want to consider the seventh commandment from the perspective of Proverbs chapter 7. And Proverbs 7 is one of those chapters, the first nine of which speak of two different women. There's the foolish woman and there's the wise woman. They're personified as at war, having different callings and enticements or lures and words to speak to call a young man especially, Solomon's writing to a young man, his son, to either one, the way of adultery, or the other, the way of wisdom. Proverbs 7, I say, is right in the middle of those chapters on the two women, and so we read here in that light, Proverbs 7, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I look through my lattice. Now Solomon here is speaking as in a parable, telling a story here to his son. And this may be true, it certainly is true, but it may be true literally, certainly is true as a metaphor. He's speaking as a father, looks out his house, and I saw, he says, among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. There a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Thus far we read the word of God, beloved, the word of God to our day, to our hearts. May God bless us as we've heard God say to us his word 
May we discern the gospel in that word and also wisdom. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We live in a day and age in which it seems impossible not to commit adultery one form or another. Not simply to think about it in this sex-saturated society, but also to do it, to be fornicating on our own with others and in all kinds of immoral society. Here what one has said, making it seem all but impossible to keep the commandment, the factors that exist in our society in the 21st century. A list these factors. We live in a a secular, sexually saturated and permissive culture. Wouldn't you agree? There's the widespread availability of pornography. There's the disconnection of sex from pregnancy and reproduction. There's laws making divorce easy and impossible to contest. There's social media technology making anonymous meetings easier. There's widespread prosperity that lessens the financial impact of family breakups. There's the large and growing gap between the time of puberty and the average time people get married. We could go on and on about all of the factors that promote this kind of sin. Even so, that it seems like the sin so popular, even among evangelicals, seems like not a sin anymore. After all, everybody's doing it, and you have to test things out. Got to be assured of who your mate's going to be and how good in bed she is and so on. And so, can't be that bad, and in fact, I'm feeling bad on my own, and And I could use a little joy, a little fun in my life. And I would suggest to you that of all the commandments, this one leads the way in a pernicious sort of way, this sin of adultery, in the promotion of a kind of life and joy outside of God and his fellowship. And so it's the happy sin if it's a sin. It's something that this promiscuous society promotes and Maybe it's because they have a bit of common grace, and we ought to follow their lead, we who are just saying, as those Calvinists and those lovers of Jesus, that grace is particular and saving, and it saves us from sin and not to sin. Beloved, I want us to consider very carefully this morning the seventh commandment and what I've would want to call a tale of two women. A tale of two women. And the first is that there's the whore and there's the wise woman. The wise woman is hardly there in Proverbs 7, but she appears in Proverbs 8, and she is there in Proverbs 7. The whore and the wise. And then this, which woman to heed? Certainly the... The father is calling his son to heed 
the wise woman, even to make her your sister, your kinswoman. And then, and God, of course, is calling us to take heed to the wise woman. Then there's this very important motivation for considering carefully this word and this tale, this truth of the two women, and that is it's a matter of life and death. Note what happens to the man who goes after the woman, is seduced by him. He goes and descends to the chambers of death, the house of that woman of ill repute and of hell. Two women, <clears throat> two women, and the first woman is described here as this whore. It's striking how this woman is devious to the max and relentless in her pursuit of the, of the son, the simple son, the naive son, one who doesn't know the ways of the world so much and certainly doesn't know the ways of the women of the night. Women, a woman meets him as the story goes and this man is looking out the lattice and meets this one in the twilight in the evening in the black and the dark of night. Striking the metaphor there, the night signifies the time of evil, always in the Bible. And in fact, when Judas went out, it was said it was, it was night striking. But there is a woman meeting this man, and she's dressed. This is often the way of women. They dress the part of a harlot, of a prostitute, showing just enough to seduce a man to know what's beyond what is shown. And this is the, the, the styles of the day. You can hardly find any kind of modest attire. And she has a crafty heart, and that's what drives her. She's loud and rebellious, and I suppose it's sometimes, but also other times she's meek and coy after a fashion and quiet. But her eyes tell lots of things. All of her words, they are vain things designed to trick a man by sight and by hearing to let her into his life. This woman who lurks, lurks at every corner, looks for the man, finally finds him, someone who will listen to him and, and who will buy her wares. And she's even religious. This is striking. Verse 14, she says, I have peace offerings with me. Somehow this seems to be a woman in Israel, a religious woman, maybe by the peace offerings saying, I'm, I'm clean menstrually. And so I'm, I'm ready for clean sex and Religiously, see, I'm a religious woman. Today I've paid my vows, though, of course, she wants God without God's moral code. I paid my vows and so I came out to meet you. Isn't that amazing? Did something religiously and used that as a justification to go about fornicating and seducing men to fornicate. Came out to meet you, she says. Not just any old man, though they get the impression that this woman would have gone for any old man or young man, maybe even a little boy. But I came out to meet you, she says, to flatter him. Just you. He looks around me. I don't know you. But she knows him. 
by the look, by the naivete, perhaps by the fact that he's out there in the night and shouldn't be there some, for some reason. But I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I found you. And she upholds her bed as a great thing, something to be, uh, something that's adorned with all kinds of riches and spices and so on, invites him to take his fill with her of love until the morning, and, and then assures him that the husband's not home. She's a married woman. And adultery, of course, is, first of all, this sin against marriage. And it's when one of the spouses in a marriage, or both, but one, say the man, he has sexual relations with someone who's not his wife, or when the wife has sexual relationships with someone who's not her husband. That's what adultery is, and this one is an adulteress. My husband's not at home, though, she ensures him, and he's gone on a long journey, and he's taken money with him to spend it as a business trip, I suppose, and he's going to come home, and I know just when, in a week or so, at the appointed time, and you don't have to worry about him coming home early and catching you. So all of the motives for this fun time are there. And she entices the man, and he's led like an ox to the slaughter and to a place that he thought was like a ballroom, as one has described. But it was a battlefield, her bed. And at the foot of her bed strewn all the corpses of strong men, who thought they were strong, but they weren't. That's a woman. Could be a man. Men often entice the women. Could be a young woman, a young man. Married woman, single woman, single man, married man. People. But there's even more to this, beloved. And the seventh commandment is, is very broad, exceeding broad. For this, this seduction, this story of a, a night, a tryst in the night, a fall in the night, a death in the night, bespeaks a whole society and a whole way of life, which is death. I'm referring to the, back, uh, the fact that the Bible, at every turn and throughout, speaks of another whore, greater than a person. And Proverbs has alluded to this in the first chapters of itself, when it speaks of the fact that there's a whore and her way about her, her way, her life. And the Bible speaks of this whorish way in life as a kind of Babylonian way, the way of Antichrist, the way of this whole world that's given over to sin. And the sexual immorality, that whorishness and that adultery is just one of the ways of the way. It's an outstanding way of the way. It stands out as shocking as maybe the culmination of lots of things that are on the way, this lifestyle. But we should not isolate them if we're really to be edified fully in a sermon on the seventh commandment. 
I'm speaking, for example, of Revelation 17. You can turn with me if you want to, to that chapter which speaks of the mother of harlots. This is where this whore came from, the whore of Proverbs 7. John, Revelation 17, 3, is led away. He's carried away by one of the angels in the spirit into the wilderness, and there he sees a woman. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, like a whore, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints." And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, beloved, there's a linking here between adultery, the adultery of one, one whorish woman or man with another whorish woman who becomes a whore because of the whorish man. And this whole system, this whole world that's gone to pot, gone to pieces, gone to seed. Yes, seed. Sowing its wild oats among men in that way of fornication, in that way of unfaithfulness, in that way to the destruction of souls, in the same way which is to the destruction of societies. For when you break faithfulness and you break marriages, you break up society big time. We're seeing it today. And also to the downfall of the church, the church society, the church, the holy church of God, the bride of Christ. Look at Babylon, the harlot. That's a church fallen, joined with the culture, become at one, become this Babel, which would be Babylon, which in the end of time is the anti-Christian kingdom. And it calls all the commandments bad and all the liberties we have good. Almost leading the way, fornication. Adultery. I often wondered why, why all the hype of homosexuality, pedophilia, Same-sex marriage and fornication and adultery and swapping wives at the drop of a hat or the bit of boredom that hits when you've been married for four months. I think it's because this way of showing sin is the way, the extreme way of showing we're free of everything that God would say. And the very organs that are to be for life become death. But people are convinced this is the life without having the consequences of a child. Let's just abort. Let's just be protected. And they think it's life. And they think it's joy. And they think it's happiness. 
but it's death. The Bible itself leads or reminds us that when a fornication is a sin of the great unbelieving world, but it leads the way. There's a list, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6 and, and verse uh, 9 and following. Do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now there's the list of unrighteousnesses. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. There's the list. A couple, three times, four or five times is the sin of adultery against the seventh commandment, right up there with idolatry. You leave God, and then you say, Whatever goes, goes, because now I'm the arbiter of right and wrong. Same thing. There's a list in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident, evident, clear, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. But adultery leads the way. Same thing, the list of those who won't enter into the kingdom of heaven at the end. Right there, amidst the hellions, those who go to hell, adulterers. Worldly people who follow the way of a world, lifestyle. That's one woman. And almost hidden at this point in Proverbs and this chapter in Proverbs is the other woman. The other woman being that woman personified as a sister. Verse 4, Proverbs 7. Say to wisdom, the other woman, you're my sister. And call understanding, synonym for wisdom, understanding the ability to know what's right and wrong and then to do it, the right. Call her your nearest kin. Make friends with another woman. Be virtuous, my son. Be so full of this other woman that you won't try to get your full of love, kind of love, from another woman. Just her, just wisdom. Wisdom's like this jealous woman, though it's a sister here. Sister. And wisdom wants you and all of you and not part of you and not just for Sometimes, but all the time. And contrasted there with the immoral woman, verse 5, and the seductress who flatters with her words, and, and that's the rest of the chapter 7. But if you go to chapter 8, you have this wisdom crying out and lifting up her voice and taking your stand on the top of the high hill. I love it. 
She stands out in public. She's not ashamed. She's not lurking in the dark and in, in, in the alleyways and whispering and trying to sell her wares and so on. And that this woman also has a keen and close relationship with the Lord. The woman does. This wisdom does. Because verse 22 of chapter 8 of Proverbs says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. And I've been established from everlasting from the beginning before there ever was an earth, before there were depths and so on. Then I was daily his delight, verse 30, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. That's another woman. Well, that's the woman or wisdom described as a woman here. But we know that's Jesus. Amazing. Jesus here condescends to be likened unto a sister with whom you make friends, who's the opposite of an immoral woman, even deigns to be compared and contrasted to an immoral woman. This wisdom, which is so far above and so from heaven and so with God and so promoting the truth of God and is such a good companion that to have him is life and not to have him is death. Jesus says, I'm like that woman. He'll do anything, you know, to save young men from their whorishness, nature, and young women from whore, whorish natures and so on and activities. He'll even come to the earth, the Son of God, Son of Man, to die for the ungodly, the adulterers, the adulteresses, us, beloved. And those are the options, as it were. There's the one sister, not lewd, wonderful, moral, of the Lord. Make friends with her, the wise father says. Make friends with her. And we know him to be this wisdom of God who is Jesus because the Bible says this. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, Jesus is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and redemption, sanctification, all these things, but wisdom. Jesus is our way, you see. He's the way of people in the church who help one another along the way to be wise and to make friends of one another because we've made friend of this sister, our elder brother, our Savior, this Son of God, Jesus. Yeah. And he's the one who sets us free from all our trysts in the night, our secretive, seductive, compromised adulteries, idolatries, and following the way of the world. All in the story here. And how is, what's the man to do? What's a woman to do? It's not just for men, it's for women. What, what are we to do? We even who've 
past puberty and who are in our 30-somethings and 40-somethings and 60 and 70 and 80-somethings. What are we to do, though? There's this woman, she still exists, this whorish woman, this way of the world, this world system that's out to get us. It is relentless and persistent in his advertisements, on the Internet, in the television, and so on. And the church is learning the ways of this woman and saying, yes, we can be more reaching out to people <clears throat> if we just adopt the ways of the woman and all this, the ways of the whorish woman. Won't call it whorishness, though. We'll just call it liberty. What are we to do? What are we to do? We who are Christ, that's what we say, don't we? We're wise. Well... Let's listen to some of the things that the man who looks through the lattice would, by the inspiration of the Spirit and the wisdom of God, tell us. The first thing is this. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kit. That's the first thing. That's called confessing your faith. You say to Christ, you're mine. You say to God, your way is my way. And I will not be on the way to to hell confessing Christ. You're saying to wisdom, you're mine. Please be mine. I pray be mine. Be my nearest and dearest in the house of God. Nearer than any other sister or any other brother. Jesus says that, you know, of us. Matthew 12, I think, verse 50, something like that. He who does the commandment, my commandments is, is my mother, my father, my sister, my brother. My relation. I died for a family for the Sovereign Grace family, for other local church families of God who still would, would be allied more with wisdom than with the world. So how do we do that? How do we call understanding our nearest and kin and wisdom, our sister? Well, it's by faith, isn't it? Believing. That's what God says. Believe on the Lord and you shall be saved. Believe on the Lord and... You shall be forgiven your evils and your adulteries, and you shall be liberated from them. You shall have this new beginning, and that's the first time you believe in the second and the third and the hundredth and every day. As we have to deal with this world and the brawless woman, And all the advertisements and everything it sells and appeals to the flesh. Confess your faith. And then if you say that yours is another world than this world, you're not of this world then you're going to love the Word. 
God. The word of that sister, that brother, that savior, that friend, that Jesus. The word. I don't know how it can be more simple than that. Believe and believe God's word and live by God's word. It can't be. It's not. Christianity's not for rocket scientists who need degrees and experience and then you can get to the moon, a place called the kingdom of heaven for believers who simply trust the word of God. Psalm 119, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto to thy word. Men, the word. Be in the word of God. In the world, but in the word in the world. One letter. The difference between heaven and hell. L, word, world. Word. First of all, and the word Jesus, the word so that you're not just getting information, but you're believing in the Jesus who's the word of the word. So very important in our devotions, find Jesus. So important in our sermons, preach Jesus. Bring Jesus, deacons and elders and pastor, when you bring the word. So that the people are built up in truth and established and set free by the truth. Sinners! who have to deal every day at work, at play, on vacation, and in their flesh with the adulterous woman and the adulterous man and the adulterous world within need Jesus to speak to them the powerful, life-giving, sanctifying truth as it is in him. He's the way. He's wisdom and he's wisdom's way. He's the... The, the life, he's wisdom and he's wisdom's life and he's his truth. And all else is a lie, no matter, else, no matter the flattery of the world. Now, beloved, could speak a thousand other words as we've spoken about 900 of them here about work. How about work? So important for us to work. Be busy. In our Bible study last time, 1 Corinthians 7, we said no matter if you're married or not, be holy, and it's all about service. That's why the apostle says, I wish that everyone were men uh, who were single as I, referring that for the present distress, so you could serve the Lord undistracted in he who's married cares for the things of his wife and family and so on. Not bad, but Paul says, here's something better. And he says, no matter whether you're married or not, may it all be for all of you, for me and, and all of us together, service of the king. That means busyness, not just idle busyness, filling the time, wasting your time, but busy with a purpose, going out in the streets, Probably not as this young man, this simpleton, clueless as to what was going to come up next. I tell you, beloved, if you're clueless, there goes the whore. Or there goes the seductive man right into your life, and you didn't have a clue. Well, because you were clueless going out the door. Just going to hang out, mom and dad. 
Don't do that. Christianity is not just hanging out. It's purposely making intentional decisions with regard to purity, with regard to service, so that everything's done for edification of yourself and the next person. That doesn't mean there's no fun, not beloved. Half of our problems with fun is we don't understand that there's the fun of service and cleaning the church and plowing and doing things in the name of Christ and helping other people and bringing meals and all of these things that we do as a church of Jesus Christ. We give for another. That's what love is. It's the opposite of lust. Lust is... Give me. Give me your body. Forget your soul. I just want your body. Work. About the preaching, back to that. Maybe that's because what I know, I know it best. Preaching must be faithful. Preaching must be lively. Preaching must be of a man whom you know knows the need of forgiveness. Preaching must be antithetical. Here it is. Here it's not. Love this. Hate that. Here's the way. Go there. Here's not the way. Don't you dare go there. Because the preacher learned it from God through the word just like you. And he'd bring that and bring it practically and pointedly, even though we might be uncomfortable. Now, beloved, are, are you uncomfortable? See, the woman calls out, says, ah, I, I'm so glad to meet you. I've just been looking for you, that, that whorish woman. Her wisdom cries out too, chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom cry out, understanding, lift up her voice? That's Jesus now. Right now, crying out, come to me, make friends with me. Come to me, all ye that labor and are weary. Come to me, all you that have committed what you think is the unforgivable sin. And maybe for you, it's this traipsing around with, with illicit partners and whatever you're doing, privately or publicly, as adulterers, adulteresses, and just plain old fornicators. Wisdom says, you come to me. And you come and you leave that burden and that sin at my cross because if my cross did anything, it was to alleviate, no, to atone for the sins of people just like you. And so that there's no guilt and there is no more shame None. No more shame. Now that is so very important to remember, maybe especially with regard to unfaithfulness and the sexual sins. Shame. To be sure, we fall into these sins, we march into these sins, we get habituated in these sins, and there's consequences. And some of us have to deal with that the rest of our life. Consequences. 
But beloved, no more guilt and no more shame and no more necessity, you think, to find your peace, your joy, your happiness, your significance somewhere else for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. And take him at his word. So you hold your heads up high. You start anew. The mercies of that sister, that brother, that friend, that savior are just so wonderful every single day. So that's for life. And you don't have to say, I'm I'm just dead. I blew it. No more coming back. No more life. As if the stain is what lasts in our life. Beloved, what's the blood of Jesus mean? What's the blood of Jesus mean? It means there's no more stain. Everything comes out. It's this amazing cleansing power. This is what Paul reminds the Corinthians who have been with the best of them among the leaders in sexual sin before they were saved. After listing all of the list of fornicators and idolaters who will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word I bring to you today, beloved. Even if you haven't had the sordid past that some of us have had, maybe you have a sordid, pernicious, and scurrilous present. And Jesus says to you now, choose this day whom you will serve and be holy and be happy in holiness. For I'm your God and your Savior and I love you. And I want you to know love, not lust, and to know the life that comes through knowing my love for you. Everything else is death. Look at the woman, Proverbs 7. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Chapter 9, verse 18. The The fool does not know that the dead are there in that house and that her guests are in the depths of hell. That's death. It's death. This world is full of zombies, the living dead. And they say they're alive. They say they're happy. They say they they need a new identity, a new gender, a new way of looking at marriage, just hook up with anybody anytime and break up with anybody anytime. That's death. Don't. Go the way of that heathen, whore, harlot, Babylon. There's the way of Jesus set before you today. Believe and walk uprightly for his sake. Amen. Father, we pray that you would bless us in the way to heaven with holiness. We know that the devil... The devil is so clever. 
As long as he can get us on the highway to destruction, doesn't matter what lane we're in. What sin we commit, what we think is no real deal. Lord, we know what you think. And all who love you are holy and ought so to be. Bless this congregation, every single one, every soul, every sinful, sin-sick soul, every family, every office bearer, every aspect of our life and our work together with holiness in the arms of the Son of God. Amen.